Well, we're going to continue our series in the book of Luke, and like Pastor Al mentioned, we're going to do kind of a mini-series, I think we've got it up here, The Road to the Cross. So we started this week on Tuesday, our 40 days of prayer, that'll take us all the way to Easter, and on the Sundays in those 40 days, I think there's five Sundays, and we're going to try to focus us in the book of Luke on what happened when Jesus set his face to go to the cross, What was Jesus' road to the cross literally in his life? And how do we in some ways join him on that road? Uh, How how is what he's doing, how does that change us? What does the cross have to do with us? What does that matter for our life? And uh, so this morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 9. I was thinking about this sermon and how to start. And I'm a new parent, a year and a half-ish, but I still feel like a new parent. 18 months ago we had zero kids and now we have three and so uh, if you're doing math and, and counting nine months, you're not going to make it work. Uh, and so we, we have a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and then on Easter we'll have two two-year-olds. And so uh, we're really looking forward to that. But, but what I've been noticing as a parent, you're going to laugh, is how children interact with authority. Okay? Have you ever noticed how a kid interacts with authority or how they don't interact with authority? Okay, this is playful. Like they, th- there is no interaction with authority sometimes. And sometimes they're right next to you and they don't want to let go. And other times you can't get them anywhere close to you. But I was, I was thinking through how, how is this going to change? How is this going to change as they get older? We're already starting to see some changes. And uh, our oldest daughter, she, she, we've never had a kid that age. We, you know, we have Corinthians 2. It's like, okay, we've kind of done this with Jonathan before. And then Cece's 4. And so we're kind of going, this is new. Like what? How do you think and how do you wrap your mind around things and what do you want to do when she's already getting the, the sassy eye roll and she's like over it, dad. And I'm like, you're four. You're not supposed to be doing this yet. But it's interesting how kids interact with authority and sometimes they need you because they need to feel safe and they need to feel like you trust them and they need to feel like you love them. But there comes this point where every kid gets old enough and they look at you and they say, I'm not a kid anymore. And you're like, well, as long as my checking account says the things that it says, I'll consider you a kid, right? So my dad said to me when I was in college, like, dad, I'm not a kid. It's like, okay, well, then you can pay for X, Y, and Z. Okay, I'll still be a kid for a little while longer. But, but there comes this point where kids go, I'm not a kid anymore. Let me make my own decisions. Like, I'm, I'm going to go to college. Stop telling me what to major in. Stop telling me what to do. Stop telling me where to get a job, and stop trying to plan my life for me. And so this, this interplay with authority, I, I think it also shows us kids want to find their own meaning at some point in life. And the way kids interact with authority, it, you can really see at some point they need to come under authority, and, and really they're not old enough to decide what the meaning of their life is yet. But there comes a point where as parents we've got to let go and say, okay, big boy, big girl, you, you, can, you can set the purpose of your life now. And I can't control this anymore. But the way we interact with authority, whatever has authority over our lives will give purpose to our life. That's what I was thinking about with kids. That's what I was thinking about in this passage this morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 9. And we're going to look at kind of three sections of scripture back to back. One of them, two of them we've already talked about. But if we start in verse 18... We see this, this, this section of scripture that Pastor Al talked about a few weeks ago where Jesus comes to his disciples and he says, who do the crowds say that I am? And verse 19 says, they answer, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, 
Some others say one of the prophets of old has arisen. But then Jesus looks at them and he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. The Christ of God. So the first thing I want to do this morning is, is dig into that confession just a little bit. I know we hit it a few weeks ago, but I want to revisit it for just a second. Because when I hear the word Christ, I don't know that my mind always goes to what the Bible's talking about. When I hear the word Christ, I hear like loving, merciful Savior, which is true. Jesus is that. I hear someone who suffered on the cross for me and died for me that he could save me. And yes, Jesus is that. But this word Christ, what does it mean and where does it come from? And I think we see in the Old Testament, the word Christ comes from an Old Testament word, Messiah. So you have Old Testament uses Messiah, New Testament uses Christ, and both words are pointing to the same thing. It means anointed one, specifically the one who was anointed to be king. So here's the struggle for me. When I hear the word Christ, when we hear the word Christ, we've got to make our minds go here. King. King, king, king. Because in the Old Testament, he, what were they looking forward to that they thought would save them? King. And they were right. God promised them a king. Second Samuel 7, God says, I'm going to send you, David, one of your offspring is going to have a king that's going to reign forever. Isaiah 9, there's going to be this son born and he's going to have the government upon his shoulders and his rule and reigns never going to see an end to it so the old testament hope is a king is going to come he's going to reign squash all of our enemies we're going to live in prosperity forever that was the old testament hope a king who's going to reign forever so that we live in prosperity forever so put yourselves in the disciples shoes jesus says who do you say that i am peter says you're the christ so what were they hearing? Peter is saying, you're the king. You are Isaiah 9. You are 2 Samuel 7. You're the one who's going to rule and reign forever, squash our enemies, and bring prosperity forever. This is you. You're going to make everything right. You're the anointed one from God who's going to rule and reign forever. That's what they heard. That's what Peter said. But let's keep reading in the text and see what happens. So Jesus is the king. We see Peter confess that. We see what the word Christ means. Peter answered, you are the Christ of God. And then Luke 9 verse 21 says, and he, Jesus, strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So, Peter says you're the king who's going to rule and reign forever and bring prosperity, squash our enemies. And then Jesus says, yes, but I'm on my way to go die. So again, let's put ourselves in the disciples' shoes. You're, you're face-to-face in an intimate setting with 12 disciples and Jesus, and you're coming to learn more every day how this Jesus is not just a man, but he's actually God And that this God, he he got sent down in the form of a man, Jesus Christ, born of a virgin. He's growing up. He looks just like a man, but he's the king who's going to reign forever. And you finally realize this, and you look at him, and you confess. Peter confesses, and you're all going, amen, amen. Yes, you're the Christ, Jesus. And Jesus goes, I am the king who will rule and reign forever, but I'm on the road to go suffer and be killed. Wait wait a minute. You're on your way to do what? (laughs) Jesus, Matthew gives us a a very interesting detail to the story. Matthew 16 includes this verse. 
It says, Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. So when Peter confesses that Jesus is this king, and then Jesus says, I've got to go suffer, Peter in his mind goes, kings don't suffer. So he rebukes Jesus. Jesus, you've got it wrong. No, no, the pathway to a king is upward, upward, upward. Exalted, exalted, exalted. A a king never lays down his life for his subjects. It's the other way around, right? The loyal subjects lay down their lives for the king. Why? Because the king's life is of far more value than the subjects. Subjects come and go. Servants come and go. But the king, he must rule forever. Let's establish his throne. He's the face. He's the ruler. And Peter can't get in his mind, why in the world is Jesus the king, King Jesus, is going to suffer? Why is King Jesus going to suffer? And that's why this is the first sermon in our series on the road to the cross. If Jesus is the king, why is he going to suffer? What does that mean for us? What does that mean for us that the king is going to suffer? So I want to start with, with that question. Why is the king going to suffer? We've seen the dilemma in fact, Luke gives us more details later on in, in Luke 19, 11 and in Acts 1. The disciples never got it. So this, this little tidbit in Luke 9, 22, where Jesus says the Son of Man is going to suffer, he gives that kind of prediction three different times. One more later in chapter 9 and then another in chapter 18. And in chapter 19, verse 11, there's this interesting little tidbit where Luke says, Jesus told them a parable because they were still expecting that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. It's like Jesus kept saying, yes, I'm the king, but I'm not setting this thing up right now in the way you're expecting me to. There's this tension. The disciples never quite got it. And then in Acts 1, after Jesus was dead, after he was raised from the dead, in Acts 1, they say, Jesus, is now the time you restore the kingdom? And he said, you're missing it. You're missing it. So there's this tension. So, so why is Jesus going to suffer? Well, the first thing I want to draw our attention to is, is an Old Testament passage, Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 talks about this suffering servant sent by God. And I want you to notice in this, I, I put them up on the slide. I want you to notice the words that it uses to describe what this servant sent by God is going to go through. So, so, so follow these words with me. He's going to be despised and rejected. He's going to be a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, afflicted, pierced, crushed, oppressed. He'll be killed and he'll be chastised. This Isaiah 53 is is a picture of the Messiah. So to start with answering this question, why is the king going to have to suffer? We've got to go back to the Old Testament and see that it's because the Old Testament did talk about it. The Old Testament was pointing us to the fact that this Messiah is going to have to suffer. But in Isaiah 53, the author is weaving this reason for his suffering throughout the passage. He's not just suffering for no reason. He's actually bearing the griefs of other people. He's carrying their sorrows. He's being pierced for their transgressions, and he's taking the chastisement that they deserved. Their iniquity is laid on him. So the point of his suffering is that the Christ king would suffer and die as a substitute for his people. 
He's going to suffer and die so that we don't have to. That's ultimately the reason for his suffering. Rather than being the king who forces all of us to lay down our lives for him, he actually steps off his throne, makes his way to the cross. You could think of two words, the cross and the crown. If that helps you remember this, the cross and the crown. He wears the crown. He's the king, but he's willing to go and to suffer. He lays down his life for us. But as the king, here's this other tension we've got to live with. He didn't deserve to die. He didn't deserve to die. Yet he still, the scripture says, he resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem to go and be killed. Why? I believe Jesus wanted to go face to face, head on with the one thing that will bring an end to all of us, death. Jesus is setting his face towards dying because he knew that that was what we all deserved. And his mind was made up that he was going to go defeat the thing that was going to defeat all of us. We're gonna be defeated by death. That's our end. So live it up because we've all got a day and our life's gonna end. Jesus came to earth not deserving to die, rightfully as the king over all who was gonna reign forever. But when he looked at his subjects, he said, you can't live with me forever because death is where your life is over. Death is the end for you. So he said, I'm gonna go face your biggest enemy. And I guess to bring this back to the authority question, what has authority over you determines the purpose of your life. Because sin has authority over us, the purpose of our life ends at death. There's no purpose beyond that. That's it, it's over. Because sin is our authority, we've been separated from God, everything ends in death. So so what is Jesus doing? He's going head on with the authority over us. He's going head on to defeat it. Jesus suffered and died to defeat our old authority. But he would reign victorious after he embraced death. Notice the little phrase at the end of Luke 9, 22. It says, and on the third day be raised. The suffering of the king was never meant to be the end of his story. He was gonna embrace death, walk through it so that he could walk out the other side victorious, turn around and then offer his victory to us. And say, this no longer has to be your purpose. This no longer has to be your authority. Sin does not have to have authority over you. I've defeated it. The grave no longer has to be the end for you. I've defeated it. It is over. So we have Christ the king, Jesus, king over all. Jesus is the king. And then this king suffers. Why does he suffer? Not because he had to, not because he deserved it, but he suffered because we suffer and he wanted to free us from it. He was killed because we deserve death and he wanted to free us from that. So Jesus died willingly to face what we all deserve to face, to defeat what we all deserve to be defeated by. So what does this mean for us? If this king suffered for us to free us from death, what does this mean? Well, it means that King Jesus is our new authority and he gives us purpose that lasts beyond this life. 
He gives us purpose that will last beyond this life. Do you realize how impossible that is? If, if the grave is the end, you have no purpose beyond it. Right? Let that sink in. If, if death is the end for all of us, then our purpose ends right there. And we've got a day. Young or old, we've got a day. And all of our purpose that we've tried to build for ourselves, all of our meaning that we've tried to find, ends. Look at what Jesus says. If we continue this passage, Pastor Al again preached this recently. Luke 9, 23, he says, if anyone come after me, so put this in context. Peter says, Jesus, you're the Christ. You're the anointed one of God to rule and reign forever. You're the king. And Jesus says, I am the king and I'm gonna go suffer and die to free you. So if you're gonna come after me, if you're gonna follow me, here's what he says in verse 23. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul? What in the world does this mean for us? That Jesus would suffer, defeat our old authority, give us a purpose that lasts beyond this life. Let me say it like this. When I read this text, when I read this, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Here's what I hear Jesus saying. Without me, if everything goes as well as it possibly can, you'll gain the whole world. Everything. Every pleasure, every monetary gift, every possession, you gain it all. Every amount of fame, you can have it. Every satisfaction, yours. Houses, cars, jobs, friends, relationships, whatever you want, you got it. Travel, see every wonder of the world, every beautiful place, you got it. You gain the whole world. Here's the problem. You gain all that, but when death comes, it's over. It's over. I heard Pastor Al quote this week, an old preacher that said, you never see a hearse towing a U-Haul because you can't take it with you. So you can have the whole world. You can gain everything, but you're gonna lose your life. You can gain everything, but you are gonna lose your life. If we try to find our lives on this side of the grave, then we will lose it on the other side. That's what Jesus is saying. If you try to find your life on this side of the grave, you're gonna lose it on the other side. Jesus came to open the doorway to the other side for us, and he's saying that if we decide to lose our life on this side of the grave, then we'll find it on the other. So if everything goes as well as it possibly can, then we'll gain the whole world, but the problem is we lose it all the moment we die. We lose it all the moment we die, but Jesus comes so that we could have purpose that lasts beyond the grave. Do you understand the weight of that? Eternal purpose. So if you try to live your life without Jesus, your purpose is capped because you're, you're not gonna live forever. Your, your purpose is capped at death. And I know this is heavy, but this is the road to the cross after all. We're talking about a dark road that Jesus was walking and suffering and death. And so we, in a lot of ways, we've gotta try to embrace that darkness and say, what does this mean for me? Let's embrace our limitations that we will all die. Then what? 
if we remove Jesus from the equation, the best case scenario for us is truly that we get everything we ever want in this life, right? I mean, think about your desires for a moment. Think about the things that trouble you most. What if those were solved? What if those desires were fulfilled? What if those dreams were accomplished and those hopes were realized in this life? But the truth is that even if you are pursuing those things, you can't really have whatever you want. If you're trying to find your life on this side of the grave, you really can't have it. Even though you think you can, you can work hard enough to try to get it all, but you never will. You will die with projects unfinished, desires unfulfilled, and hopes unattained. The truth is that your identity will never be complete. The goalpost moves. No matter what season you're at in life, the goalpost will move. And I think about the transitions in my life so far, right? If only I were in college, I would have so, I I could just think differently and I'd have so much more figured out. And then it's like, if only I could graduate college, wouldn't have these studies weighing down on me, I would be free to really go after what I feel like my purpose is. And you get out of college and you're like, I know I'm out and I got this job, but if I, but if I had the more ideal job, I couldn't get that job because I got to get some experience, right? Everybody need you got to have experience to get the job. So if I only had that job, then you get that job and you go, you know what? If I were married and have somebody walking through this with me, goodness, it would just be. You see how the goalpost is moving? It, <laughs> this world is wired to never satisfy us without God. That's what Jesus is trying to teach us in Luke chapter 9. He's saying you you can gain the whole world, but you're going to lose your soul. Eternity promises you nothing if you build your identity on only this life. So Jesus is on the road to the cross to embrace death so that death will not be our ultimate end. Jesus is on the road to the cross to embrace death so that death will not be our ultimate end end what does this look like for us in our life what are we shackled to pastor al said a few weeks ago like this what owns you what controls your thoughts what controls your free time what controls your actions what controls your decisions what motivations are behind everything that you're doing what are your if onlys what are the things you're living for We could ask this question a thousand different ways, but I hope you're getting at what we're trying to see. Jesus is saying, uncovering this in your heart, what are the idols of your heart? What are you worshiping? What is giving you the purpose of your life? And what Jesus is trying to get you to see is, if it's anything but me, then eternally that will let you down. I saw an illustration a couple weeks ago in a sermon where uh, a guy was preaching and he had a rope and he said, just imagine this rope goes on forever. And it went, kind of to the wall and he said he said this rope goes on forever and this this represents eternity and he's kind of waving it right you're going okay that's a really long time picks up the end of the rope and he's colored about this much of it red he says this is your life this is your life right here this and then all that is forever and it goes on it just keeps going never ends but this is your life the view most people have is, let me live really good right here so that at this latter part, I, I, can, I can retire and move to the beach and, oh man, set myself up. So let me save and invest and try to get the right sort of lifestyle here so at the end of it, and then it just goes. 
And Jesus in Luke 9 is saying this, I'm going to go die because really what all of you may not realize is that your life ends there. Your purpose ends there. I'm going to open up the door so your purpose can be eternal. You don't have to be perpetually disappointed by the moving goalposts in your life. You can come and embrace me and find eternal life. So if the best case scenario is in this life, we gain everything. The worst case scenario with Jesus is that in this life, we lose everything. But for eternity, we have life with him. That's the worst case scenario. That for all eternity, we've got life with Jesus. But in this short life, we lost it all. If you have Jesus, the worst case scenario is that you drop dead this moment. It's worst. Because then what happens? You walk through the doorway of eternity and you're with him forever. A purpose that can never be taken from you. A life that is eternal, unshakable. That's what Jesus is offering. That's why he's on the road to the cross. So I want to challenge us this morning to to try to make this really applicable. The last point is this. King Jesus deserves to rule your life. Let him rule your life. Let him be your authority so that death is not your end. He's going to embrace it for you. And it's like a gift. What what do you have to do? You got to just receive it. You say, thank you. You're not adding anything to what he did for you. You're not. So let King Jesus rule your life. What does this look like for us? What does this look like for us? Well, I think I thought of three kind of categories, kingdom life, kingdom potential, and kingdom opportunities. When Jesus is ruling our life, what does that look like in in my daily rhythms? I'm waking up in the morning, I'm going to bed at night, and all in between. What, What What does this look like for Jesus to rule my life? And I think the very first thing I thought about was kingdom life. Do you have kingdom life with Jesus? Have you experienced new life? Have you followed Jesus, not just on the road to the cross, but have you followed Jesus into the waters of baptism to publicly declare, hey, I'm identifying with Jesus And I don't know if you've ever thought about the physical act of baptism, but we hold you and we put you under the water and we raise you back up and follow this with me. You're saying, with Jesus, I have died. And with Jesus, I am being raised. My life is no longer my own. Galatians 2.20. That's what baptism is, a declaration of Galatians 2.20. Have you followed Jesus there? Have you followed Jesus into the waters of baptism? We would love to celebrate that with you. That's part of the reason we put these connect cards on every single chair, to make it very easy to respond to the sermon this morning. If you need that, there's a place on that card you can write that and write your name. And if you don't want to come up here and give it to me, there's a basket in the back. You can go put it in that basket. We'll be in touch with you. But we want to celebrate baptisms because it's a picture of new life. So do you have the kingdom life with Jesus? Do you have that? This morning, you may say, you know what? No, I've been building my identity on this life, living as if death truly is the end. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's how I've been living my life. But today, I want to invite you, lay all that down. Find a purpose that lasts beyond the grave. Maybe you already have embraced that. And here's the challenge for us. Are you daily following Jesus? We just got done with a three-week miniature series through the book of Luke on discipleship what it means to follow Jesus, to take up our cross, to be changed by Jesus. 
Are you following Jesus every single day? And if you don't know where to start, I I simply want to invite you with this. We're in the middle of 40 days of prayer. and Every day we're trying to put some scripture together. And on our blog, just have a couple sentences that you can pray along with us. You may start there because following Jesus is a relationship. It's not religion. It's not just let me do the right things in this order. Following Jesus means you know him. And here's the best news. He knows you and he loves you. Kingdom life is a relationship with Jesus both now and forever. The next thing I thought about when I was thinking of how does this apply to my life? If Jesus is ruling my life, I have a purpose that goes beyond the grave. There's kingdom potential. Here's the truth. The church is a a family. It's not a program. It's not an event. It's not a building. Al has tried to beat into my head to call this the church house, not the church. He says, where are you? I said, the church. He goes, everybody's there? I said, no, it's the church house. I'm here by myself right now. But you're the church. The church is the people of God. And the truth about the people of God is that there are no passive spectators. There are no consumers in the church. There are active participants. And here's why. When when you have new life and Jesus gives you that gift and he gives you that purpose that lasts beyond the grave, God has wired you, and we use this word a lot, he's shaped you for a very unique purpose. You have a role to play. You are valuable. We, we just got done praying Luke 10 2. God raise up laborers to send out into your harvest. And here's, here's the truth to that prayer. You're the answer. You are the answer. Because God has given you personality. He's given you the way you think. And then he's given you his Holy Spirit to bring out certain gifts of your personality that you can use to help build up other people and help reach unbelievers with the good news of Jesus. You can do that. You have kingdom potential in you if you have the life of Jesus. And we can't beat that drum enough that we don't want any passive spectators. We don't want any church consumers. We want active participants. And here's what we don't want. We really struggle with this. We really don't want to come with such a neat, clean, just add water ministry program that you think all we're saying to you is like, oh yes, you you want to be an active participant? Well, here, we've got this little place. You stand right here. You do this one thing and say these three lines to these people and you're serving now on this team, right? We need you to serve on some teams because we've got a ton of kids. Last week we had 45 people in worship and 25 kids. So we need some of you to fill some gaps on some teams. But here's what we want to do. We want to unlock your kingdom potential so that you live out of your spirit-given gifts. God's given you gifts. And when Jesus is ruling over your life, you can give that away. You can give that away. You don't have to just be a spectator. You don't have to be a consumer saying, okay, church, what do you have for me? Because Jesus has given you all you ever need. And he's given you potential to serve. So our prayer is that you would find your role here at Shalford and in the kingdom of God. And the reason I say and in the kingdom of God is because we hold all of you with an open hand. Every single one. So at any point, you, you, if you've been with us long enough, you know that when we have members go find other churches, uh, they don't slip out the back door. We say, okay, so when are we going to send you? And we bring you up here to the front. We say, hey, they've been a member for X amount of time. We're so glad they've been with us. You've been touched by their life. God's led them to go find another church. You're not leaving on bad terms. We're sending you. God has purpose for you there, right? That's, that's what it means to be a part of the family of God. We want you to find your role in his kingdom, whether that's here or another church. I told a guy this week I was sharing the gospel with, and he said he was kind of in church a little bit as a 
as a younger man, and, and I said, look, I don't really care where you go to church. I just want to make sure you know Jesus because he'll lead you to the right church. I'll, I'll help you find it if it's not ours. But I want to make sure you know Jesus. Because guess what? We've all got a role to play. And if we're going to reach people five miles from where we sit, there's 200,000 people in the next five years. We can't do it all here. That means we're going to have to let some of you go to other churches. Some of you go start other churches. Some of you go help dying churches restart. You have a role to play in the story of God. And that's exciting. So the third application point. We've got kingdom life. We've got kingdom potential. And the third one is kingdom opportunities. Kingdom opportunities. There's opportunities all around us to live sent. We say it at the end of every service. Shalford, you are sent. And here's the truth. Mission, joining Jesus on mission, is not an event that you add to your life. It's not a program that you say between six and seven, I'm gonna go live sent. Living sent means everywhere you go, you're praying that God keeps your eyes open to the opportunities that are there. You have opportunities all the time. You buy groceries, you get coffee, you take your kids places, you get gas, you have neighbors, there's people, you work with people, there's people everywhere. Do you see those opportunities as opportunities to, just like Jesus, open the door for you? Our life ended at the grave, there was a wall, but Jesus built the door, opened the door for us so you can walk through and have purpose that lasts beyond the grave. You know the opportunities you have? Show people the door. You have the opportunity to show your neighbor the door. Because guess what? Their purpose is right here. It's end. It's over. But you have a chance to go get them and say, hey, there's a door here. Jesus came and did this. So you can have purpose that goes so much longer. Your coworkers, the people you interact with, you can serve them. Do you see kingdom opportunities? So if I were to summarize, what does this look like in our life? I would say those three things. Do you have kingdom life in you? Do you have the life of Jesus? Has he given you that gift? Are you living out of your kingdom potential? Do you realize your role? If, if you don't or if you think you do and you're not living in it here, at Shal- I mean, if that's a question for you, kingdom potential and finding your role, please write that down. Nothing gets us more excited than helping activate you to figure out how do you live in your kingdom potential. Write write that down. Go put that in the basket. Come give that to me. We want to help you discover that. And the third thing is that kingdom opportunities. What opportunities do you have to live sin? I wrote up there a question. What's your story? You know, that question opens so many doors. Everybody has a story. It freaks people out when you ask them. So what's your story? Or somebody's serving you, you're out to eat, and you just go, hey, Okay, you got 30 seconds. What's your story? Uh, where do I start? Wherever you want. You got 30 seconds. What's your story? All right? Unfortunately, when I tell people I'm a pastor, they feel like they've got to weave some, like, church part of it. And I'm like, we don't have to do that. You really don't have to. You don't have to include that. Just tell me your story. Because when you hear somebody's story, you find threads of brokenness. You find threads of hope. You find threads of where they might not realize it, but God's been moving. And it opens up an opportunity for you to tell your story about what God's done in your life. And how God's opened that door, kicked down the wall where the grave was the end for you. So that you can have purpose that lasts beyond the grave. So I want to ask all of us this morning, are we living with a purpose that lasts beyond the grave? Let's pray.